We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham and running a little bit late this week, but Sean Cunningham is joining me. What's going on, Sean? Oh, nothing. I want to say it's my fault that we're doing this, but really I blame the Kings for a Sunday, Monday, back-to-back home games. I mean, that just really kind of got our week off to a wonky start. It did. It got our week off to a very wonky start. It's really difficult for us to do a podcast after a game because we both have other duties. And when De'Aaron Fox decides not to come out of the locker room to talk to us until like 10, 15, uh, 10, 20. That's becoming a problem, man. Like, like, yeah. I remember, okay, can I can I stretch my legs here for a second? Yeah, the longest people I used to have to wait on in terms of visiting locker room, like Chris Weber, Peja, they kind of took their time, but they were timely manner, right? The guys you had to wait the longest for historically in my career, Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki. Kobe was a little bit, but Kobe wanted to get it done quickly. He wanted to get out and see people. There'd always be people waiting on him. But Kobe Bryant, or excuse me, Kevin Garnett and Dirk Nowitzki were the longest I've had to wait for. De'Aaron Fox is getting into some pretty Dirk Nowitzki-like territory right now. Yeah, I'll tell you the two that, um, I, I mean, I, I don't have an affinity for either player. Uh, so maybe that's why I get frustrated with them. But there is a media window. And going into visiting locker room, when the Houston Rockets had James Harden and Dwight Howard, uh, not only would they wait until like three minutes left in media availability and post game, because there is a window for us to be there. Um, with the Kings, we just waited out and we just hang out in the locker room when we were allowed in the locker room. Now we're not uh, until, you know, we get a little deeper into this post COVID or whatever we're in right now. I, I have no idea, but uh, Dwight Howard and James Harden, not only would they wait forever, but then they would almost like, time getting dressed together you know like I, I it's almost like they're looking at each other like putting their belts on so then that way they were done at the same exact time so you could only get one of them uh you know and, and so like someone asked me yesterday like who is who is the favorite people to go in the locker room and talk to um this is a random one kevin love always just waited he just sat there and like mm-hmm. okay let's go um but Sean, who are your favorites? Because I, I have some favorites that I'll tell you who my favorite 
interviews guys to go in and, and hang out with in a lot of this more. is a good question i well here's the thing i, I want to I, I know i just bashed these guys over the head for waiting so long even De'Aaron for that yeah. matter but but usually it's worth the wait like these guys are so candid they're so good mm-hmm. uh they're worth waiting for so um i don't want to make it sound like i'm bashing them over the head for the wait because it ultimately ends up being worth the wait these guys are really really good to deal with even kg and dirk but one of the favorite things that i would i used to love talking to kg because he's so intense like you see the intensity on the floor it was that way off the floor and he would hang his head and i don't know are we going to post this are we going to show video in, in this or was this just going to be audio uh we might post video go ahead might and do post whatever video. you're okay. going to do so yeah so kg's just hanging his head so he can hear everything going on and the best part that used to just just it, it, i was so amused by it He'd hang his head and he'd be answering your question and he would turn to the, he wouldn't see who was really asking the question because he would hang his head to hear it. And then he would bring his head up and, and right at the time he would meet you eye to eye. That's exactly when he stopped talking. So he'd be like, yeah, you know, I had a great game. And this is, by the way, this is a really terrible answer. So, but he'd just be just generically, you know, I had a great game, had a great battle with Chris Weber and I look forward to doing it next time. Boom. I, I done. It was it, it like clockwork every single time. So every, that was so amusing to me. So, and plus he always had, he was so interesting to talk to. Um, so I was always very much amused by Kevin Garnett. I don't know if he's my favorite, but I, I used to look forward to those interactions for sure. Yeah. I have a couple of guys. Um, number one, like anyone from the Spurs has always been like phenomenal. Like it, it's almost like they, they either search for guys who are extremely thoughtful or they put them through some sort of training or just being around that culture teaches them to be good at just about everything. Like they're good on the court. They're good off the court. They're good in the community. And Manu Ginobili was always mm. one of my favorite ever. Uh, you ask him and every single time he would pause, he would think about it and then just give you a thoughtful, intelligent answer. Um, when Pau Gasol was there, same thing. And Pau Gasol is to me, he's like a Muppet character. Cause <laughs> you know, he's got like this crazy hair that bounces all over the place. Right. And then he's got a, a very large nose. I mean, when you're like, when you're Gonzo? Over seven foot tall. Yeah. So, but he <laughs> looks down at you because he's so tall and like his hair is moving and he's animated, you know, he speaks, like most Europeans, they're very animated. Their hands are all over the place. His head is moving all over the place. His hair is shaking all over the place. And it's like you're centered on this gigantic nose. Like, and he's such a good interview and so thoughtful. Right. Um, you know, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, all of them extremely thoughtful. Uh, so anytime the Spurs come into town, you're always worried in pregame that you're going to get blown up by Popovich, right? Uh, yep. Because Pop is the best of us. If you ask a stupid question, uh, he makes you feel stupid. There are uh, stupid questions in this world. Don't let anyone fool you. But and a stupid question can elicit a brilliant response. Yes. Yes. Right. No. Very. Very true. Uh, and you know, so like that's that's one of my favorite teams to to cover to go into a locker room during that time. I, I just thought they were all so incredibly good and thoughtful. Even and I'll like. Sean, before George Carl was a head coach of the Sacramento Kings, there we go. He was my favorite to go over and talk to. Like, oh, as what do you mean? Before, a, so no longer now. No, as a visiting coach, he he 
was so good. He would take your question. He'd give you, you know, you had to like lean in because he has a gravelly, you know, low mm -hmm. voice. And uh, he would just give you like a very good, thoughtful answer. And then like we got to see like a different George Carl when he was in Sacramento yeah. that that was not pleasant to Sean or I, which I think we've already discussed on here. Oh, um, he's fine. We're four episodes in. We can just five episodes in. We can keep Let discussing George Carl every single time. So if but, KG uh, was my most amusing, Ron Artest was easily the best because you never knew it was going to come out of his mouth. And uh, honest, super entertaining um, and very, I mean, just very real. And squirrely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I loved navigating those waters with Ronnie. He was fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, I remember, so for people who have never been in the belly of, of Arco, uh, the visiting locker room, um, it was so small and, and horrible. Oh, and they also, they also had an issue, like my bar that I'm sitting in right now is way bigger than the visiting locker room. And uh, they also had a hot water issue. So like people wouldn't get their hot water. Uh, it, it was a huge, huge problem. And it was so compact, but there was also a very narrow hallway that went to both the visiting locker room and then they had a back training room right behind it. And then when Vivek bought the team, he blew out the back end of the training room and made that the new visiting locker room and expanded it. Probably it was probably twice as big, but still just absolutely horrific. Um, and there are other cities that have bad visiting locker rooms too. But I remember our test Aileen Boisson caught him in the hallway and Aileen had, uh, she always had a, a notepad in her hand and then underneath the notepad was her recorder. Which um, she could almost, never figure out. Yeah. Which she could never <laughs> figure out. Like in the middle of <laughs> we're interviewing coaches at practice, all you can hear on your recorder when you go back and listen to it is beep, 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 yep. beep, beep Or when she'd play beep, it, like she'd, you'd have that fast forward sounding yeah. <laughs> like in the middle of a scrum, I'm looking at her like, She's erasing. She's yeah. erasing in the middle of a scrub because she doesn't have enough room on a recorder. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. So hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed that as much as Sean and I did. But uh, Aileen, I watched Aileen and she had a way of using her notepad to trap people. So she had mm. our test in that hallway and our test kept trying to get by and no, no, she kept getting an angle on him. Yep. Like she was uh, like, she was trying to cut him off from, from making a back cut. And she would just like nudge her little notepad around and around until he was pinned to the wall, got him all the way in the corner. And she just sat there and like, hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. And I thought, man, that there is a science to what Aileen is doing oh. right now. 100 percent yeah. it is completely methodical and you know what and and you know what if you've ever seen seinfeld and and neil which was played by the great judge reinhold a little bit of a close talker <laughs> yeah uh yeah a little bit of a yeah. close talker yes definitely it, for sure yeah. Uh, yeah and you know um like we we really haven't even got into the show here i, I hope no, that we people didn't. that was a great start are, are listening and, and are like okay this is cool um i will also say this like we're uh he he came up last night and I'm not sure why he came up last night. Well, maybe it's because Logan Mur Murdoch was there. So maybe that's why. Um, but Sean and I, uh, the the late, great Marty McNeil, um, mm. 
you know, Sean lived in the Grove, used to live in Elk Grove, the Grove, as we call it. I used to, yeah, and down more downtown now area, but yeah, I used to live in Elk Grove for yeah. And you and and uh, and Marty were were close. Just such Mm -hmm. a good soul. He had um, number one. He ruined at least like a thousand hours of of footage where you couldn't post a video because he was dropping f-bombs in the background like because that's that's what uh, marty did all the time uh i he spoke in f-bombs like that's that's but they were the way impactful like it was colorful yet yeah it wasn't that unusual for a locker room and he did it with purpose and it wasn't just letting it fly you know what i mean and it's it was it was masterful and uh, you know, it didn't matter who the person was. And that's what's so crazy. I mean, he had a radio show on the weekends and I always, I kind of cringed and I was like, well, good thing we have an eight second delay, which fortunately I don't think they ever had to use huh. uh, during my radio days. And, and he, he handled radio fine. He handled interviews fine. But once you were done, it didn't matter if you were old, young, who you were, Marty was going to be Marty. And uh, I learned a lot from the guy because it was always be yourself at all times. Yeah, my first uh, interaction with him, I was at the practice facility at uh, at Arco, and I, I, I'm not going to mess with power balance or sleep train. I, to me, it was always Arco. It's Arco, yeah. Yeah, and um, he was standing there, and I, I knew who he was, but I had no idea that who that he knew who I was. My first website when I first started out on my own as an independent was called the Purple Panjandrum um sorry the what the purple panjandrum okay and marty walked what's up. a pandandrum pan wait, panjandrum yeah it's a pan it's a it's a world war ii military weapon it's also like a a, a like a, in a alliteration term um, okay so anyway uh anyway marty came up and he introduced himself to me and i said i'm james him he goes i know who you are he said what in the f is a, is a panjandrum? <laughs> perfect, perfect. Marty, Marty still doesn't know what a panjandrum is. Yeah, yeah. And the <laughs> the great thing was that um, it was an acknowledgement that he was reading me, and mm. I thought it it made me feel really good because as a guy who had been around, you know, reading and it, I'm a Sacramento native, um, to know that he was reading my stuff was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you got that from Jerry, you got that from, from Gary Gerald and a lot of the guys, but, uh, like, like Marty Mack, like what the if is a, is a purple panjandrum. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, uh. so anyway, he came up last night and our general discussions while we were sitting around the media table, having dinner, um, before the Kings, uh, I don't even know how to describe what happened uh, on Monday night. Um, but we're going to talk about the week that was right. So, um, and, and the week that, that will be, so we're going to cover some bases here. Um, we're going to do our normal stuff, uh, where you'll get some of the business of basketball. We've got some, uh, intriguing stories for the business of basketball. Um, but, uh, the Kings found a way since the last time we had a podcast to, uh, they found a way to go two and two. And I, I think a lot of people are very upset that they went two and two. And they're losing sight of the fact that they went two and two over a week span, whether it's at home or on the road. Uh, you're talking about back-to-backs at home, which I think are strange. You're talking about early games. Um, 
no excuses, Sean. They they probably should have gone three and one in the stretch. Uh, just if you look at the games that they had in front of them, um, but two and two really isn't that bad. What are your if you look, we start with the New Orleans game, uh, then we, we've got the Hornets, then we've got the Pacers, then we've got Suns. Just not individual games, but if you were to sum up the week, how would you look at it in, in your terms? I can understand people, players included, fans, media, saying, man, just because you could have been 3-1, and one, um, I don't know if it the should be should ever enter into that, but – Certainly you like what you see. I mean, that Suns game was a debacle. Uh, and I, I know, Straight I mean, <laughs> and it was, you know, I hate to go there because it was such a self-inflicted game and they haven't had, they haven't really had that moment yet. And I guess we'll get to that in a second, but just looking at it as a whole, I know it's the two and two and, and yeah, you'll feel pretty good about it, but you're five and five through 10. And it was the question I want. I kept asking Darren Fox after the, the the win over the Hornets, which is, or excuse me, with the loss to the Pacers, that would have been the tenth game, and that was a game that felt much like you really kind of let one slip there. But coming off of the game that they've had against the Hornets, franchise record from three. I mean, incredible shooting night. Not necessarily for Darren Fox. I know we'll talk about him later. But then you fast forward to this to the Pacers and you just I know it's an early start, which, by the way, you're going to have a lot of those, a lot of three o'clock Sunday home games this year. Um, so it's not kind of this like one yeah. off or an anomaly in the, in the schedule. So and then to see them just absolutely can't make a shot, um, you know, the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, where you're not going to be as great to where you're setting franchise records, but you're not going to be this bad either. But five and five through 10, where you played two Eastern Conference teams and the rest were all Western Conference, essentially playoff teams or teams that were at least within the playoff mix last year, uh, I think speaks kind of volumes. I mean, they have had such a tough schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know it'll all kind of balance out, but think of this in terms, I was, we were, you mentioned Logan, he and I were kind of dissecting both the Kings and the Warriors starts. Um, because both of us have had, you know, he covered the Warriors a lot closer than I did, but obviously in the postseason, you cover them a ton. Uh, but yeah, the Warriors get off to this heart, this hot, like eight and one at one point start. I, I don't want, are they nine and one now? Best nine and one or 10 league, and right? one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they won again. And they're in the middle of an eight game homestand. Okay. They haven't really <laughs> played anybody to where Logan really, and I don't even know if we can curse, but he just looks up and he goes, Oh man, they haven't played anybody. Well, he's like, you're right. They haven't played him. I said, okay, well, then I look at the Kings schedule. And he's just, you know, he, he, again, you get a, a more national perspective, which there's been a lot of national people uh, through Sacramento over the past couple of days. It's been interesting, and really, right? Yeah, and there's actually, especially, you know, you've got the John Hollingers, the Chris Haynes, you've got Logan, Amick's been there for quite a while. Um, this is kind of his home base. But, like, <laughs> talking to all of them, you know, John Hollinger's got Rashawn Holmes as the most underrated player in the league, which, okay, that's fine. Logan hates the Kings. He's like, I hate watching him. I was like, well, how much did you watch him? He's like, no, nah, this is really the only, the only game I've really seen. <laughs> so typical Logan, right? But again, yeah. in order to make, to resonate, like, you know, in order to resonate on a scale nationally, you've got to be relevant. And the Kings just haven't really been relevant. So they're, they're just picking apart what they see. And then last night was, I, I was, you know, walking out with Haynes and Murdoch and I just go, man, you saw the good and the bad with the Suns tonight because you saw an absolutely, you know, wet the bed third quarter followed by you almost had to play damn near perfect 
just to get back in that game. And you held the defending Western conference champs to 11 points in that third, in that fourth, after they held you to four to 12 in that third quarter. So like, what do you take away? You've got this great fourth quarter, this terrible third quarter. You've got Chemezi Metu and Damian Jones in the game that we haven't seen really all year. Nope. And now here they are. And, and it wasn't like Luke was going to wave the white towel. Like he was checking in Jemias Ramsey at one point who only played like a minute and a half Yep. with De'Aaron Fox. Like, I remember turning to you and going, what, <laughs> Like, what is this? Like, I, I almost felt Luke got a little bit too cute, but to his credit, I mean, it kind of worked. Uh, you know, I think there was some moments where they were all of a sudden rebounding better and the rebounding has been tough. So yeah, as you look at it as a whole, and, and I know we'll deep dive into the Suns game here in a minute, but you know, there's some good and some bad. I think this is pretty much, I think when we go and look back at the rest of the season, and I think you and I, when we did our, our, our win totals uh, a week or two ago, yep. you know, I was right around, I, I said 37, I think you said 40, 42, 42. So essentially we both are looking at this team at about being a 500 basketball team. And I think this yeah. will be a really good sample size of what could be to come. Okay. So I, I'm going to read a quote that um, from Sunday from Harrison Barnes, he said, we can be a good team. The difference for us being a good team and being a playoff team is our consistency. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to look at the last three games. We'll throw out the Pelicans game because let's be honest, the Pelicans, uh, number one, their roster construction is trash. Like it, it was trash coming into the season. They didn't bring in enough shooters. I don't know what the heck they were doing, um, but they also played without uh, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson and, yeah. Herbert Jones, who has become like something of a, of a, like a really cool story early in the season. Take um, a look at Herbert Jones. If you're a fan that just went, who? Yeah. Take a look uh, yeah, at Herbert Jones. Yeah. It's Herb. Yeah. Like it is interesting. He's a, like a guy who's come out of nowhere to actually be totally impactful. Um, but like, look, if, if we look at the other, let's take Friday and Sunday and then let's, let's see how they play into what we saw on Monday. Friday night, the Kings shoot 22 of of 44 from three-point line. They set a franchise record for three-pointers. They could not miss. They shot 55.2% from the field. They dropped an absolute hammer on a very good Hornets team that just lost last night in overtime to the Lakers, right? At Staples. Uh, That is a very good up and coming, exciting, long, athletic, skilled with Hayward, well coached. Like we can keep going down the list. They're a bad defensive team and the Mm -hmm. Kings made them pay. They do really look like the Kings from last season where they haven't figured out how to play defense at all, but to, uh, to throttle a team and Sean, I like we were, we were discussing like, Small sample size. We keep talking about small sample sizes, and it was crazy. Uh, we looked at, I think it was after uh, last week's game, like on Sunday, the Kings were six in the league in pace. And then the next game, they moved all the way up to number three, and then they moved to number seven. And then you get to this game against the, the Charlotte uh, Hornets where they, they drop 140 in regulation. Sean, their pace actually went down. And, and so that's what, like, we keep saying 
these, it's so early, it's small sample size, it's small sample size. So in one week, they went from three to six to seven to nine to 10 to 11, back down to eight. I mean, that is where we're at as far as sample sizes. But you look at- And where did they finish? Where did they finish last year? Um, I think they were- It was outside the top- was it top 10 still? I thought yeah, they, they were. Okay. I think they're right around top 10. They, okay. I, I, I'm pretty sure they're right around top 10. Um, you know, like it's one of those things that I can actually look up within two seconds. Yeah. But I, I, can, I mean, to that, to that point, James, it's like they finished 10th. Exactly. They finished 10th. So like, I know Luke has been saying, no, we need to keep our foot on the gas. He wants that pace to go up. And last year yeah. it was like, we're trying to figure out the defense. Well, now they kind of figured out the defense. I think it's still a work in progress, at least through 11 yep. games, but like, to see them still be improved upon what they finished with is such an encouraging sign. Yeah, I totally agree. And so if I look at, again, let's, we look at the Hornets game where they are, I mean, they shoot 55.2% from the field. You come back two days later and you shoot 37% from the field as a team. Mm. Nothing, nothing goes right at all. You cannot do anything right. And you still lose by three. You still have a shot inside of five seconds to actually win the game, not to tie it, but to win it. Then they fouled and actually they couldn't get one more shot off. Um, and, and so my point, Sean, is that just those two games shows you like the, the nature of where we're at with this team. They are competing really well. They have some fight to them defensively. They're improving. I think they're number 20 right now in defensive rating. They're actually a positive in net rating still. They haven't been blown out of any game until nope. we get to the, the Suns game where <laughs> like I had already written that they were blown out and then they lose. They, they again, had a shot to win the game. Um, so like, I just think that so far this is consistency is the spice of life is, is a term. And mm-hmm. we're, and I think Harrison Barnes nailed it so succinctly. Like this team is so they're consistent, but they're also wildly inconsistent. And the one thing that's consistent is the effort. Like, I feel like every single night, this team is fighting. Even if De'Aaron Fox is frustrating you, he is fighting. And you're seeing everybody on this roster from one to, I don't know, 12 or 13, whatever is playing is can they're, they're fighting and they're giving you everything they got. The, what we saw in the fourth quarter against the Suns. Look, uh, that's, it's kind of something we've seen from Luke before. Luke doesn't like to just throw away a game and say, Hey, I'm done. I'll give the young guys some burn, but at the same time, you know, Fox has had like a really rough start to the season. Go out there in a blowout, go get right. That's what I felt. That was like, I felt like he left him and he put Harrison Barnes back in because like, look, they, it was Fox and Harrison Barnes that couldn't hold on to the ball in the third quarter and cost him the game. I mean, those guys combined for 11 turnovers, but almost all of those turnovers came in the third quarter when they got blown out and and had 10 turnovers in the quarter. And most of them were on those two guys. So I I thought it was like an accountability thing. I thought it was a, let's go get you guys right. I'm not okay with what's happening with you two. And I thought that those guys did a good job of leading the way and getting the team back in the game and making it like that place was rocking. Everyone had a, had a good time. You left thinking, God, that third quarter, but holy cow, you know, you you even Sean, you forgot about the entire first half, which was excellent. It It was was crazy basketball. 
I mean, it was really a high level between both teams. The defense was non-existent, but it was high level basketball. So my point is that the Suns game is almost a microcosm of this entire season. Like, well, and, and think of it, think of that too. I mean, go back to the Pelicans game just briefly. Like they're, they're curb stomping the Pelicans, right? Like it's yeah. 140 points. I remember looking up going, why does Luke still have Fox and his, and, and, and Harrison and these guys still playing? Like this game is a 30 point game with like two minutes to go. Oh, the, and the they're Charlotte still game. playing. Yeah. 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 The Charlotte or, game. Yeah. I said the Pelicans, excuse me, the Charlotte game. Why? And, and I thought much like he did last night where it was, yeah, we're still going to compete and we're going to give you a moment to get right. I felt that was it too. Like, no, we want you to get right. We want you to try to snap out of this, whatever you have come out and have your confidence about you. So I think it worked both ways and you're right to see it go down that way. Last night was weird. There was some uncharacteristic things. Like the one thing, even last year that trickles over to this season is you really don't see this ball, this team turn the ball over like that. I mean, you're talking yeah. 24 turnovers that lead to 38 Phoenix points and you still had a chance to win that. You cut that, you cut a 24 point second half lead, which became 21 points in the fourth quarter. You hold Phoenix to 12 and you cut it to a three point game. And if De'Aaron Fox doesn't miss two free throws, now granted, if Devin Booker doesn't miss two free throws, if, De- if De'Aaron doesn't miss two free throws, he goes one of two, you're probably, maybe you don't foul, you know, at that point, maybe yeah. you do. But, but Booker goes 0 for 2. Both Kentucky players go 0 for 2 in Crazy. the crunch time. It was, like you, it was insane. And then you see that, that lob to Mezzi where it's like just kind of you know, out of bounds. It's like though, And I, I think that's why I asked Fox because after the Pacers game, through 10 games, the thing that he wasn't talking about his struggles, the thing that concerned him most was the way this team closes out games. Late game execution, the way it closes up. Every, every, every one of their games outside of, of their five wins outside of the Charlotte game could have easily resulted in an L because they were so closely competitive and they tried to give the game away. Like if you remember that, uh, the, the Dallas game, the, the game in Dallas was such a head scratcher because they could have easily won that game and they just gave it away late. Um, you know, the, the, there's the Phoenix game that they won. They tried to give that game away. You know, there's and Harrison fourth, hit the three. Right. So there's these late game blunders that are very much self-inflicted a lot. You know, Luke last night said, Hey, it was no adjustment that the Phoenix Suns made in the third quarter. We gave, we gave, we turned the ball over 10 times in that third quarter alone. Mm -hmm. So like everything, all these things are so self-inflicted and that's what De'Aaron talked about. He says, no, it's late game execution and closing out games. And that's why. So then I say, okay, you have this third quarter, the way you do against Phoenix. And then you have the fourth where you play almost damn near perfect does that game come down to late execution or because of the way you had to battle with some pieces, let's face it, that are on the floor for the first time. I just mentioned Damian Jones and Shemezi Metu yeah. on the floor for this. You don't have that synergy with these guys. You don't have the, and, and maybe, you know, Luke wanted to ride those guys, you know, get, you know, what is it? Uh, you, you go to the dance with the girl that got you, whatever that, whatever the phrase is, like you're going to, you're going to close with the, with the group that got you there. Yeah. And I thought maybe, you could have made an adjustment here or there, especially for some of those late things. He didn't. And Fox kind of is like, yeah, I don't know how to answer that because again, we ex- it, it, it essentially saying that we extended so much effort to come back in that game that I'm playing with unfamiliar pieces and maybe they shouldn't be because of the way you practice, but game times are so different. And yeah, and they almost, they almost pulled it off. That would have been incredible. Yeah. So a, a couple of things, number one, um, there were some things in that game that like, I'm so confused by 
uh, first of all, Rashawn Holmes was like completely ineffective. And yeah. it was because very specifically, I, I, I do not understand this at all. Two things happened this week that like were such head scratchers. Why did they let JaVale McGee stand in the key the entire game? Like he didn't even defend officials included, by the way, anybody, the officials just let him stand in the middle of the key. He got called for a three in the in an illegal defense early in the game. But then the rest of the game, he stood there in the middle of the key and Rashawn Holmes didn't know what to do. Like there, there's no way to run a pick and roll when a guy isn't defending anybody. And basically he's playing his zone by himself in the middle of the key. It's an illegal defense call. It should have been called at least 10 times during the game. Nothing. I thought your head was going to explode. Uh, like I was just watching it. Like <laughs> you're like three seconds just like, screaming it. Yeah. Like <laughs> at, at what point do you put out your campfire and like move on? Right. Like it was absolutely crazy. I'll, I'll say this too in uh, who, Oh, the Indiana game where the Kings, like really what came down the Pacers game was one specific thing. It's that Indiana controlled the pace that they controlled the pace of the game. But there were multiple possessions where I literally saw Tyrese Halliburton, a turnover, uh, offensive foul, whatever it was by the Pacers, which I think they got called for quite a few moving screens. Halliburton would grab the ball, run over to the sidelines, throw it to the ref to get the inbound so he could inbound the ball. And the ref wouldn't let them push the tempo. He held onto the ball, walked over slowly and handed it to him right. and let the Pacers defense set up on the other end. If I'm the Kings, if I'm Luke Walton, at a certain point, I call a timeout and I just walk over and I say, what the hell are you doing? Why are you <laughs> controlling the pace of this game? You should not have a, a say in how quickly the game goes and how, how slow it goes. That's not okay. You need to get out of the game. Stop messing with the flow of the game. Um, and, and to me, that was, that was something that, I, you know, like two things that I thought were specifically – like just really, really poor officiating that caused it, that actually impacted the game greatly. I mean, Rashawn Holmes has been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, what he put up 23 and 20 the other night mm -hmm. against uh, Charlotte and then to have him go into a game against a Suns team that doesn't have Aiton and he's a non-factor, complete non-factor in that game. And it wasn't because he wasn't trying hard. It wasn't because it was specifically because the referees wouldn't call an illegal defense on, on JaVale McGee. I just thought it was strange. So that's sort of my, like, I, again, like I'm not yelling because I'm a fan. I'm not angry because I'm a fan of the team. I'm angry because I like, if you're going to play it one way, like you have to be fair. That's, that's yeah. the thing with the officials. Well, I, I mean, especially when it comes to the pace thing, like each, each referee, each official has their own individuality and I'm, I'm with you. Like, I remember, you know, Steve Javi would be really quick with it, but, you know, just back in the day. And then you have Bob Delaney, who's like, wouldn't give a damn. Like, it's like, yeah. no, this is my show. Uh, Joey Crawford would be rather quick with it. Dan, Dan Crawford, no relation, wouldn't. So um, just things like that. Everyone has their own characteristics. And so some of those things can't be helped. But you're right. When you're a team with pace and then you're playing a team that doesn't really have that, um, that definitely comes into play, but you need to know that like you have to know your scouting crew ahead of time. And so you, and again, they were trying to really run Indiana and who was just absolutely pasting them on the glass. Like it was, yeah. 
like that wasn't that was well uh, that happens when you shoot 37 percent as well absolutely yeah. yeah and 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 james i don't think we mentioned like they were they were missing wide open shots like oh, these are not open. even no like like yeah. indiana contested very well in the paint and and they 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 defended pretty well king's ball movement was pretty good that night uh you know there are a lot of nights where it's not where the ball just stagnates and it's dribble 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 um or one-on-one or an iso and, and i thought the ball movement was pretty good and they just missed open shots which uh, fox fox finished with two assists uh halliburton finished with one crazy in, in that game and it was strictly because no one could hit a shot at all right. including like harrison barnes was like one of six or, or one of seven from three the one good thing about harrison is he's like okay i can't shoot tonight so he went inside and and got to the foul line um so i mean that's just like a veteran being a veteran and he actually got them in the penalty early but then they should have been at the foul line i think at should one quarter mm-hmm. yeah indiana like had five uh, team fouls at, at like the eight minute mark and i remember <laughs> harrison going to the line and then that was kind of it like there wasn't a bunch of an accumulation of fouls a because if the kings don't really get any fouls and b because that was a style of play they weren't going in and getting and getting in foul trouble uh, I mean, get picking up fouls once they got in the bonus. Um, all right. So uh, we talked about the games. I, I think we've covered them pretty, uh, pr- pretty thoroughly. I mean, to me, you know, uh, like you have to beat uh, the Pelicans, um, the 50-50 game against the, the Hornets. You thumped them. You had another 50-50 game against Indiana and you couldn't shoot. And, you know, you're going to have those off nights. And then of course the, uh, the like manic crazy game on Monday night where we saw a little of everything. We saw great basketball. We saw some of the worst basketball we've ever seen. And then we saw a really fun, let's throw a caution to the wind and try to get back in this. Um, as far as players, um, like De'Aaron Fox is like, he's, he's taken a beating by the fans at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's off to a slow start. I'm not, not rightfully. So I, I'm going to say like, look, everyone needs to just slow down for a sec and, and, you know, look at this and say, look, sure. He's not averaging 25 a game right now, but he is averaging like 18.6 and his uh, free throw percentage is coming up. His three point percentage is coming up. His field goal percentage is slowly coming up. Um, but just what are you seeing from him? And have we seen him, seen him sort of, do you think we've seen the worst we've, we've gotten through the worst or are we still going to have more hard times here? No, I think we're gonna have more hard times. I mean, I think, you know, I hope not. I hope I'm wrong there. But I mean, he clearly looks like a guy trying to figure it out. And I I asked a couple scouts last night, who who happened to be at the game to to give me some feedback with what they see with Fox just kind of ISOing on Fox if they could. And one of them thought that he looks he's still adjusting to his body. I know that's a pretty popular take. I'm not so sure about that, because I don't feel like his body is vastly different like i look i know he comes into training camp and we're talking about oh look at his physique look at his physique but it's not quite mike bibby like right remember when mike (laughs) bibby well well well, even now right i I was having a conversation i'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying his name but i'm not going to just in case he does uh but we were having a conversation about mike bibby and uh not about the hulk that he is now but he came out, out of a camp where he had added muscle to himself where he looked dramatically different and it definitely affected his shot. Um, 
and he was adjusting to a different type of physique. Now, granted, Mike Bibby was never one to really push pace or be this quick guy. De'Aaron is. He's still fast as ever. And I think De'Aaron's faults are more so of the not having the ball in his hands. Like last night, I thought he was tremendous. I really did. Like I thought for that first half, especially, he was he had his foot on the gas. He realized he didn't have Tyrese, so he had to have the ball in his hands a, a, a lot more. And let's face it, he's a guy that we know who turns the switch on when he wants to. And this isn't TJ McConnell, who, by the way, kind of fed him his lunch the other night again when, he, when they played the Pacers. I mean, TJ yeah. McConnell scores and at one point looks at his bench and says, he can't guard me, you know, to De'Aaron. Um, and those are the types of matchups that Fox tends to take for granted. Maybe doesn't keep his foot on the pedal, but then he goes up against the likes of Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and it's a different story. Like he's bringing it, he's, he's giving it his all. He doesn't have Tyrese. He realizes this is the perfect opportunity for him to go out and get 30 or to have one of those special games. And uh, I felt for the first half, he, he, that's what he was in line to do. And he, yeah, and he, he had 10 really in the second it. quarter I, and I him having, he had a, yeah, a breakout in the second quarter. Yeah. And they have Buddy Heald in the starting lineup and he's the primary ball uh, play, you know, on ball. He's, he's doing everything. He's, he's the captain. He's the point guard. It's the role he's familiar and he's probably best suited to, to play. Yep. So I do think, you know, look, having Deer and Fox stand in a corner is not beneficial for the Kings. They're still figuring it out. And look, they, as we mentioned last week, James, the thing that's most encouraging to me is we knew that in order for this team to sustain, to sustain success, you needed him to score 25 or more in stretches last season. And, and that's not the case right now. They're being able to show that they can compete and, and win and be in games when he's e- even a non-factor at times. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm not terribly worried, but I don't think it's this physique. I, I know some people are, are looking at his shot a little with a little bit more detail, but to me, I think it's just strictly just not be, having the ball in his hands at all times, you know, and, and Luke is, is I think more tired of that question than he is even talking about Marvin when he's asked about Marvin Bagley. I mean, those <laughs> are just like, I, Luke is just going to, he's going to cover it all and just say, I've got the complete utmost confidence in De'Aaron Fox. He's not lying. He does, but I'm sure there's a little bit of concern there, at least with the way he's playing now that you're through 11 games. I think you've seen an increase. I think he will be fine. Um, I don't think, but I do feel like there's an adjustment period and it's basically with the offense because things are a little bit different. And when you're a team that really doesn't have a lot of playmakers on your team, they could sorely use another one. Um, and you're, you know, it just, it just looks a little weird. And that third quarter against, uh, against the Suns, uh, you got, you really missed Tyrese last, last night. You really missed that other playmaker uh, because he's that calming force. And as Luke said earlier in the week that you want Tyrese's personality in the game, have him his imprint in the game. You know, that's what he's talking about because you need that calming force. You need someone who's going to, you know, ride the wave of emotion. He really kind of sets a tone. De'Aaron doesn't really have that. De'Aaron is more of the lead by example. He's not the calming force. He's the go out and just do it, but he's got to be able to control tempo. And it, it, so it is a little bit different, but yeah, Tyrese was sorely missed. And um, so you got the good and the bad there. Yeah. You know, Sean, like, I think this is an interesting like sidebar here on this specific conversation. The Kings have leaders. They're just different leaders. Like they don't have a Chris Paul and they don't have a LeBron James. But what they do have is like we heard it earlier in the week with uh, Fox. They they said 
someone asked, what has he been telling uh, Halliburton? He said, shoot the effing ball. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm done. Like, it's time for you to stop doing what you're doing. Shoot the effing ball. It, right. And Halliburton, to me, as a player, reminds me so much of Bogdan Bogdanovich, where, like, while I think he's rangier and he's more athletic than Bogdan, um, they both have, like, sort of this, they're winners, right? And they can mm-hmm. do everything. They're jack of all trades and they're they're you know swiss army knife guys but they're also just flat out that's their mentality is their winners and i i see you know it wasn't just that walton was saying i want tyrese halliburton his personality imprinted on the game he said i want him imprinted on my team i want it everywhere i want him to imprint what he is on everyone i want that to be our personality but then you have davion who again is a defensive leader and he's only going to find his voice. Then you have Harrison Barnes who, while, you know, we joke around, he's, he's a Senator, right? Uh, Senator Barnes. Yeah. And he's the guy who is so well-spoken and so put together. He's still, he is a leader. He's a leader uh, behind the scenes where he's showing these guys how to maintain their bodies, how to be a pro, how to like be a better player at year 10 than you were at year five. Uh, but also, like, how do you be a leader in, in the community? How do you do these things that you need to do, you know, to to be well-rounded? And then you have a guy like Tristan Thompson who's coming in. He's loose. He's cool. He's a leader. He's demanding certain things from this team. You have Rashawn Holmes who plays with a force and an energy, and he's the heart and soul of this team. That is leadership. So while I don't think they have that one voice that everyone has been waiting for, I don't know that that happens with most teams. I mean. Draymond Green is noisy, but you and I both know that Steph Curry has always been the lead. That's Steph's team, and he's a total introvert, but it's his team. And I mean, like, he's yeah, he's the best player. But but to that point though, like Dre is is the he's the mouse. Like like, like I I almost say like excuse me, not Dre. Steph is the mouse. He's the one that keeps the wheel moving, right? Yeah. But Draymond is like the maintenance man. Like that wheel will fall apart. If, if, if not for like everyone is a all of them, you need I all of them. Like yeah, Draymond, yeah. if you were, I actually disagree. Cause I think Draymond is the leader there because, and they allow him, they empower him to be Draymond green. I think that they allow is, him to be the leader, the face of what's happening out there, but behind right. the scenes, everyone will tell you that it's Steph's team, that Steph is the yeah. godfather, that that's, that's his team. And if you want to get in, you got to get in with Steph. That's how you get in with that team. It's not by getting in with Draymond. You got to get in with Steph and he's going to either let you in or not let you in. That's his team. He's a gatekeeper. And so like, look, I think every team is so unique and this team has been void of leadership. I thought last year they Mm -hmm. didn't quite have enough of anything, but I think adding a little ingredient, like a guy like Tristan Thompson, who plays, who's mean, on the court, but who's funny and lighthearted and has, has got a proven track record. A guy like Mo Harkless, again, same thing, who has a proven track record and doesn't have any qualms with pulling someone aside and saying, hey, look, this is what you're doing wrong or this is what we got to do better. Like those are important pieces, but I think they help meld the whole thing together. And so I, I actually do like the, the overall vibe and feel of this team way more than I did last year, but I thought last year, you know, that was a team with six players. And, and then the year before I thought, you know, 
they didn't have that one leader, but it was like, they didn't need a leader because they're all just reckless abandon and like flying all over the court and stuff. <laughs> um, but now I, I think like, I'm okay with where they're at when who they're and the personality that's developing. I, I don't know if you are. Yeah. And I think, I think it's encouraging. And sometimes you can strap a guy with a leadership title or show that, Hey, you've got nice qualities, but how does it resonate with the team? You know, what have you done? And that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why Davion Mitchell comes in. And we talked about in summer league, how he wasn't quite vocal. And then all of a sudden he became this vocal presence and found kind of his, his, his footing there, got a little bit more comfortable, wasn't as shy. Uh, I'm still waiting to see that maybe with this team, but the one thing that stood out from training camp is even the vets are looking at him is like, no, 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 this guy, this guy's solid. This guy is a winner. This guy, you know, leader has all those qualities and, uh, and it coincides with, Oh, you've won at every single level. Uh, yeah. And, and, and here you are now on our team and bringing something that we desperately need, which is defense. And you're the best on ball defender, not only on our team, but some think among in the top in the league. So, yeah. um, so I think that is a good thing. So you can have leadership quality, but when it resonates, like you can have a guy come in and, and talk all the talk and try to be that guy, but it's like, okay, well, what have you really done? Like, how do you back that up? And does it land with guys? I think there is good signs on the team. But I think that when we talk about a team and, and, and having success, right, you're looking at leadership, you're looking at talent, and then you look at an identity. And I think that's the part where I don't know that this team has yet. Davion Mitchell last night says our identity is that we play hard. Well, that's nice, but it's also 11 quit. games. You don't, right, we don't quit. So, like, that is a good sign. I don't think that the team quit last year. You know, I felt like they were they were – competitive they were just they just sucked like they were just you know they didn't they, they just didn't, didn't have quit. the depth yeah they, they just didn't, didn't have, have the it depth. it yeah, was just yeah. a, it was just an awful team so um this year and and i it's things that kind of trickle back to the training camp conversations you can have depth but you have quality depth like obviously you have guys that are that can fill holes but do you have quality depth we still don't know that yet i think that's when we find what we're going to find out in the coming months injuries are going to happen how long is tyrese halliburton going to be out my opinion, you don't have enough playmakers. I've said that since training mm -hmm. camp. So like, do you really have depth there? Like what, what else do you, we can, you need another wing. Like you need, there's certain things that you still need. You have a ton of bigs, which that's a whole nother discussion. So like, do you have quality depth? So these are, these are questions that we'll need answers to. And, you know, I think we'll find out here in, in the, in the weeks ahead for sure. It's funny. I think the playmaking, I'm just going to touch on this real quickly. Uh, last year, both Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes had their best assist numbers of their careers. Both of them were over three and a half assists a game. But it wasn't it, good. You know what I mean? No, like it, but just it wasn't almost, good. It almost feels like now they're like, oh, well, we got the, we got Davion. We got Ty in the starting lineup. We don't need to be that guy anymore. So I'm not right. going to do that anymore. Thankfully, because you don't yeah. need those. You don't that. Those aren't the you answers. You need a little bit more. If Buddy Heald is going to push his uh, his usage over 25, which it is on the season, yeah. his his assist rate can't be below 10 and that that's where it's at and that's just not i mean last that's year, a I fair that's fair 15. that's a very fair barometer to look at as yeah. you go forward that is that 10 mark i agree for sure yeah he's got to be above 10 he's got to be 13 14 15 and he had some awful turnovers last night though. oh man the one <laughs> where, where he, he, he lost the, the dribble yeah he gave it to somebody and then they gave it right back and then he scored i mean we even had the I mean, it was like, uh, what is it? The comedy, like the, uh, uh Yakety sacks. Yeah. 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 I yeah, mean, yeah. It was just like, it, there was a, a play where Rashawn Holmes went up for this monster rebound, just incredible rebound, offensive rebound. He rips it down 
He doesn't have anyone to pass it to. He tries to dribble it out, dribbles it off its knee, then kicks it, and then it <laughs> flies over, and it either hit the official I, or, I, st- I have or it on hit video. Monty Williams. So yeah, I, sure I have it on video, and I couldn't figure it out if it had hit the official or the or Monty. It was on the court. Yeah, it was on the court, and then they just and the play continued. It was well, it bounced right back to him. So he's like, "All right, game (laughs) on." Like, uh, like that's where that game, like, sometimes to quote Buddy Hield, it'd be like that sometimes, Sean. It'd be like that that sometimes. Uh, Okay, so uh, I want to cover this as as short and uh, because it just keeps coming up, and and I don't know why. I mean, look, I've said this a million times. People read stuff when the team loses, when the team doesn't. I went, people read stuff when the team wins. When the team loses, they don't read anything. I can tell you the numbers. It's always been that way. Um, and, and so people, maybe some people get angry and they miss that Marvin Bagley is not going to play. Uh, oh. And it came up again last night. Sean, I don't want to beat this down that a lot, but I we're just going to cover it really quickly. Marvin Bagley, uh, Chemezi Metu, Damian Jones both played. Jemias Ramsey played. Uh, Marvin Bagley, Tristan Thompson did not. Tristan Thompson didn't play because as a respected vet, if it's a blowout, you're not going to put a guy in in the fourth quarter just to get him minutes. And then like even those minutes impact what his stats overall look like. Uh, But with Marvin Bagley, like, look, I, I don't know how else to say this. 17 people are on that team, including... Lou King and Namias Keita. 16 of them want to be there. One does not. Who are you going to play? <laughs> well, I, I, it's that simple, Sean. I mean, I don't know if that's an accurate representation of what it is. I mean, he asked to be traded. He does not want to be there. His dad yeah. wore a jersey, a Bagley jersey backwards again, when they went to again, again. Phoenix. People are, I think, looking at the actions of those around Marvin. And look, this is not my call. I'm not telling you this is my opinion of what should happen or shouldn't happen. I'm just telling you this is the way it is. He's not going to play. As Monty McNair told Sam Amick this week, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's like, look, the the roster is Luke's and I just don't look, I don't know if it's that simple as, (laughs) well, I mean, I look, I don't think it's as simple as he doesn't want to be here. We're not going to play him because I mean, you've really kind of hurt his value if at all. I mean, I know, look, there's a lot of stuff that they've done on his side, but I don't necessarily agree with the tactic. Like, Things things change by the hour, by the week in the NBA. Yep. And I do feel if Marvin is on the team, you're going to see him. Um, I was sh- kind of shocked you didn't see him last night. I shouldn't have been. Uh, but there, it, it, right now, it seems very petty. And 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 the noise around Marvin is going to get louder nationally. I think it's going to be looked at in a in a very strange light soon. Um, because fortunately things are going fine right now. The Kings are competitive. They're winning. They're, do, they're doing good. Um, I think that's a positive, but I think right now what they're doing with Marvin just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, I don't think it necessarily helps his value, especially if you're trying to trade him. If you just want him to be this, like he's up, he's, he's being a good teammate for the most part in games. Like you see him, I, there's a moment and maybe I'll share it on social media when we're done here later today there's a moment I caught on camera last night where Marvin 
you could tell it was hurting him not to play even in a blowout, like three guys come up to Marvin and they're patting him on the back and Marvin just looks furious, but he's still supporting the team. And that's what you want to see. You want to see that. You want to see the dude want to play. He wants to contribute. He knows that it, it coincides with, look, wh- whether a guy wants to be here or not, like if you think that he's the only guy who's requested a trade, you're delusional. Like there's oh, no, no, of course, there's so many guys on this team that have requested trades at certain times over the past three years, and they're still wearing Kings uniforms. So again, you don't, tr- you don't trade a guy just because he asked to be traded. You still want to get better. Look at buddy healed, buddy healed his having is having a fantastic start to the season. Yep. He's, he's doing exactly what they want him to do, which is to shoot the hell out of the ball. Dude took 18 threes the other night. And Luke he- Walton was like, yes. Do he it. bought in. He bought yeah. in, though. He's bought in. Right. And, and, uh, and I Marvin, think... too, but Marvin, for what they're, what people will criticize Marvin for is for stuff that's happening around him. And if you let the noise, if you let that outside noise impact what you do as a team, that's on you. That I don't think that. I don't think franchise. that's the case. I don't think that's the case. Uh, in, no, well, I think honesty. the case, honestly, I feel the case with Marvin right now is Luke saying, you are not the physical presence that some of these other bigs are. And I need guys who are physical and like it or not, Marvin's behind the eight ball because of injuries. So you're not there. I understand what Luke is doing and I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily disagree. I do feel that there are moments that, that, that Marvin can play. Uh, and I do disagree that, that to, to just, you know, not play him at all is a little odd, but at the same time, I understand the philosophy. He wants that physical presence. Marvin isn't there yet. And they're trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to win now. I think Marvin could help there, but Luke doesn't see it that way right now. A lot can change in a week. A lot can change, you know. Again, you see the report that he was not going to that he's not going to be part of the rotation, and then he's playing the second in the home opener, and he gets a standing ovation. It's weird. It's very weird. But I do feel like you'll still you'll see it at some point. I just don't know when that is. Maybe yeah. they're trying to figure it out. I, maybe they're trying to trade him. Maybe they're trying to, I mean, I know I, you got to have a, a deal that's out there that makes sense. And at this point, I don't see a deal that's, that's going to make you any better to move Marvin Bagley. He's the Jabari Parker of this year's roster. In my opinion, he, yeah, he's maybe. worth more to you as an expiring contract than he is as a player. He, his play style does not fit this roster at all. Yes, Mo Harkless gives you a better chance to win than Marvin Bagley. He plays defense. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. He doesn't run into the middle of the key and call for a back-to-the-basket uh, post-up call when your point guard is trying to run into the key. Uh, Harrison Barnes has to play at the four because in the NBA, you need a stretch four who can defend people. Harrison Barnes can do that. You're going to go three-guard sets because the strength of this team is the four really good guards and then Terrence Davis, who has been, you know, hit and miss while well, he's been missed until last night when he was hit. Um, but you want your four guards, which means you're going to go small a bunch. And if you're going to go small, you need Rashawn Holmes. You need Alex Len, You need Tristan Thompson, a combination of those three, some sort of combination of those three with Harkless and uh, the versatility of Harkless and Barnes at the four. I don't think that it's like them being that spiteful. I think it's them saying we've moved on the fans that haven't moved on. There's not a lot we can do for you. His agent spilled it out about spelled it out about as well as you can. He's out of here. He, he, (laughs) you know, they could have traded him. 
if they could have traded him for value and not negative value, they would have done it. And unfortunately for Marvin, it, he has more value as a $12 million potential trade ship to add to someone else to go oh, get no a bigger name right now. For and sure. so you're going to sit there and you're looked at as an expiring contract by this team. And it's unfortunate the way that it's worked out and Marvin can have a great career. He's got to do it somewhere else. That's just my opinion. Like, I right. think the ship has sailed. I don't think he's going to get much of an opportunity. And even if he does have a breakout game, that does not mean he's going to play the next day. It's just, this is where this team is. They're moving forward and he's not part of that. And again, you got 17 guys. One of them has been like, he was vocal. He got, went on a podcast and talked about it. Like he didn't want to be here that it is what it is. You words matter. You put that out there. You put your opinion out there. And now you got to live with what the results are. The results are you got a bunch of guys who are pulling one way, who all want to be together and all want to, to win and make the playoffs. And you have one who's get me out of here. And, and he's not the first one and he won't be the last one. And he's not the first one in Sacramento. Like this happens all the time. I mean, we're watching Ben Simmons yo-yoing with the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> in a crazy way. So that's just my, my take. Um, Sean, we beat this one down. I, I did not think we were going to get in a 10-minute discussion because we, we've got to get to the business of basketball. Yeah. And the business of basketball is, is like the business of basketball. <laughs> I, I'm having such a good time with this because we have uh, – it gives us an opportunity to stretch our legs. And it very rarely is it about business. Um, and sometimes it's not even about basketball, Paris Hilton. Um, yeah, Paris Hilton. Yeah. So, uh, Sean, there was one – there are two incidents that happened that I think for both of us were um, we're like in weird situations. And I wanted to, first of all, um, he's been in the, a little bit in the, in the press and after Jokic um, like basically like did a WWE move on a, how about on, that? Yeah. Uh, in, I'm in scared the of his game. brothers, by the way, the Jokic brothers. I love oh it. Uh, yeah. The Jokic I'm brothers. Scared like, of them. They're, they're, there's a, there's a screw or two loose in that, in that family. Yeah, like I just see them like pulling up in like a 1976 Buick and getting out and like, oh no, <laughs> the Jokic's are here. <laughs> the Jokic's here. Um, yeah, I'm all in because that, like I don't particularly like the Morris twins have their own track record with doing things that just aren't right off the court. So uh, like, and on the court, I mean, you can't excuse the, the fact that uh, one Morris twin slammed into Jokic and then when he got, he got trucked, was like what happened it's like well you know what happened like you don't think there's camera that caught the the first hit so anyway michael malone's been in the press uh i for some reason this one popped into my head we we should do this at christmas because it was during christmas time when this happened but we're close enough in november um but like we've been part of like these these like franchise altering situations that happen and <laughs> the one that i'm going to bring up today is um, the day that Michael Malone was fired, which was so stunning and shocking. By, and by the way, I just feel like Kings fans everywhere listening to this just went, oh, oh wow. <laughs> you know, Michael Malone, first of all, every time we see Michael Malone, me and Sean, um, like he, we hug it out. Like he loves Sacramento. He loves us. Uh, he, he's always said that, uh, like Sacramento fans, like think of him as red Arbach. Like, yeah. even though he, he's like, I was not a very good coach. And at that point in my career, and he's, he's talked about like having 
to develop into a better coach and that the, the nuggets let him get through some situations to be a better coach, but you were actually with DeMarcus cousins who loved Michael Malone <laughs> yeah. when it happened. So why, why don't you walk us through that story? Well, so we're at Walmart at Natomas we're uh, at because we're at Walmart. <laughs> we went shopping so the story together. starts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, DeMarcus does his annual Santa cuz and among many of the big things he did in the Sacramento community was take kids shopping and from different youth groups throughout the area. And uh, yeah, this was at the peak of his viral meningitis. Like he was just getting over it. And I, I always laugh because Michael Malone, says if he ever writes a book it's going to be called viral meningitis or like I lost my job because of viral meningitis you know and they had a great start to that season and then they're 11 and 10 I think when they let it or 13 and 10 or I forget what it was they're 10 and 13 I think when they when they fired him yeah Uh, if I'm and so anyway we're yeah we're there hadn't seen Demarcus in a while because of viral meningitis and here he is at Walmart and he looks completely lethargic and down and not as energized or as as joyful as he'd be in this moment um I know there's probably a joke there in terms of body language but there's like no I mean he didn't seem like himself he wasn't wearing the big Santa suit that we'd seen in years past and um it just was a different vibe and yeah we're seeing it and and I remember he's sitting down with kids and he's taking pictures and he's doing these things and we do the interview and even the interview is a little bit odd. And then, all right, I'm done. Darren or Darren DeMarcus is done and he's heading off. He's about to get in the car and leave and I'm going the other way. And I just remember looking back at one moment as he's getting in the car and he's with Hakeem uh, who was, who worked with the team security and there's some, and, and his, and his manager, Andrew, and they're just kind of standing there and they're all talking and he's just got his head down. And it's almost like, I was like, well, this looks different. This isn't like a let's recap what happened or our, you know, did this event go the way we like, there's something clearly going on there. And then, yeah, later that night, Michael was out and uh, I literally was driving home when it happened. I'm driving back or not home, but driving back to to the station to channel 10. And uh, when it all happens and we just go to work and things are crazy. And I, and the one thing I'll always remember, you know, you mentioned how much Michael uh, loves Sacramento and that's true. I mean, he still keeps a 916 phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy literally days after he was fired, I remember talking to him and he's just like, you know, the fan uproar was so as it was, was to be expected. Like this guy got a raw deal and you know, the, him telling me two or three days after the fact, and I believe he said the same thing to you too, James, which was, oh, I'd totally come back. He told me, me- that like, two months later, like in January, yeah. February, he still felt that way. Yeah. When the Ty Corbin situation had spun out. He told me I would, I would still come back today. Yeah, he would. Yeah. I mean, and look, coaches are weird. You know, they're, they're strange people and, and Michael's no different, but mm-hmm. um, look, one of the things that people probably don't remember is that, and I don't know if Michael, uh, but Michael wasn't necessarily totally on board with giving DeMarcus the extension that he got when he got it, because it was like, well, what's the sense of having it? What, you know, what's the rush have him earn it. Uh, there was an earning, uh, you know, a moment for him yeah. to earn it. So they didn't necessarily start off on the right way, but that had nothing to do with it. It's not like DeMarcus would hate him for that, 
but it's the way they would hold each other accountable. Like Michael was always the same. There was no politicking behind the scenes. There was no doing things that other coaches had done, which, you know, again, the handling of it, like you could go up and call DeMarcus the biggest MF in the world and, and, you know, kick him out of practice and you could still be fine as long as you're holding him accountable. Like there were things that, um, that he respected about that. And, and that's probably a whole deeper dive, but when it came to Michael, it was always like, no, he, he, he totally come back no matter what happened with Pete D'Alessandro, who he ended up working with in Denver again, by the way, uh, no matter what happened with Vivek or Chris Mullen and things like that, like he would still, he would still come back. He, he loved the, the, he loved the, the, the love that he had for Sacramento. He, he felt like this was an unfinished chapter. Uh, they had aspirations for playoffs. Now I always joke. I said, look, Michael, you could have gone out there. It, 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 this is actually almost better for you because the reality is you probably weren't going to make the playoffs that year and yeah. we'll never know. We'll never know. But now you look like you could have been like you mentioned, James Red Auerbach it, to this fan base, even if they're out the league and, and you'll never, so now everyone thinks you got a raw deal and yep. it ends up, he goes to Denver, stumbled a little bit out of the gate, you know, had the, the two bigs with Nurkic and Jokic and you're trying to figure that out. And, you know, those guys don't necessarily love each other. And uh, obviously it worked out. You got an MVP. You've been to the Western conference finals. I mean, there's this huge, huge development that they've had with, with Jamal Murray and Jokic as well. And um, it, it certainly worked out. And I, I'm just going to say, put out that don't be surprised if one day Michael Malone is back wearing, a, uh, you know, on the sidelines of the Kings again at some point, because, you know, because of all the success they've had at Denver, you know, there's, there comes expectations. And I don't think there's many people thinking that there's going to, they're going to be in the finals anytime soon. How patient will the Cronky family and all that, how patient will they be? Um, who knows, you, you know, if this season, I, I could, I could, I could very much see Michael Malone back in Sacramento one day is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. I will have to see. Um, I, I remember uh, like we're going to have Amick on the pod for Thursday just so everyone knows uh, he had a one-on-one -on -one, the great Sam Amick from the athletic. The um, <laughs> is he great? <laughs> yes, he's great. <laughs> uh, we're all really good friends. That's why Sean says that. Um, but even um, I, I heard uh, Monty McNair in the interview with Sam say the same thing that, you know, that Vivek wants, you know, that he wants a jazz band leader and you know i like i i cringed because <laughs> i did that interview I, I did a sit down with him that was on esp i i wrote for espn um about uh vivek wanting a he didn't want a souza marching band leader he wanted a jazz band leader and um i just like i don't even want to tell you what my true thoughts are on on that statement well the the the, the, just the a, travesty a of it all they, th this is why it was crazy because Chris Mullen was the one they wanted to coach the team. Yeah. No, think about that. The, the advisor to Vivek, you know, that was the one. And then when Chris didn't really want it in the, in the moments of middle of the season, it just derailed from there. Um, yeah. But they mess. also had to strike with, we were trying to replace Michael. You're tr it's like, you're trying to, you're asking your mom for candy so many times. And when she finally gives it to you, you got to take it. Right even if you're kind of like, ah, maybe yeah. over it, you know, but 
you finally got what you were asking for and it didn't come entirely perfect, but you had to, you know, it just, it was, it was so wonky the way that happened. That's twice. There's so much to that story. This, yeah. There's, there's podcast. so much to that story. There was a point where uh, Michael Ballone caught wind that they were bringing in Kurt Rambis for an interview to be his lead assistant. And Michael of course gets to hire his lead assistant and Michael Malone showed up at the interview, even though he wasn't invited um, and then demanded that they, they, give Ty Corbin the job and um it, it, the whole entire situation was ugly uh it was it was filthy actually and uh we uh, I were, me and Aaron Bruski did a podcast where we dismantled the entire thing it was like an hour and a half of just like step by step by step by step and it was not pleasant at all um and it's a dark time but I I, I brought it up because I just think the the being there and seeing that is something that you know, like I'll tell this, like I went all the way down. I live a long way from Sakai, um, probably like an hour and 15 minute drive for me, just because of the way it's situated in Sacramento. I drove all the way down for DeMarcus Cousins camp and he was mad at me for something I'd written the week before wouldn't let me in the door. Um, like those were the times that we lived in where DeMarcus Cousins for his own basketball camp where we were doing nothing but, you know, showing him interacting with kids and looking good he was upset that I had brought up his technicals the week before and literally wouldn't let me in the door to cover his camp. And I left, and, you know, the, the weird part, yeah. and it, I don't know that it even had to do with that. They used to, they used to do that camp and the only two people that they would let in were me and Jason Jones. They would turn yes. every TV station away. They'd turn every national. I remember, I think it was Mark, Spears but he, he had let me in. he let me in the year before. And, yeah, and so it was like, all yeah, because right, like it, it, of all these things he would do, it was like there's only two. I told him I was like, you should like, I appreciate it because it makes our stuff look greater. Yeah, but I yeah. was like, you should maybe shine some light on this in a little bit different. Like there was times he didn't even let Kings.com in it. You know, to, to, yeah, they didn't be, want Kings.com into his own camp. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> my whole right. thing is don't take it personal. <laughs> don't take it personal. Yeah, we we lived through an era, an era of basketball that that uh, I don't think will ever be repeated. All right, uh, Sean, I, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Kingsbeat podcast. We've got uh, another interview coming on Thursday. Sean and I are actually going to record it right now. We're just going to, you know, let you in on the secret here. We'll be wearing the same exact outfits, whether, uh, yeah, we're both matching blues, whether we post the video or not. Um, <laughs> We're going to add Sam Amick here and we're going to have another discussion and we're going to run with that for Thursday. Um, but uh, make sure to hop on the Kings beat, make sure to subscribe if you can, um, you know, give us a, uh, you know, jump in and do a paid subscription. Why not? You know, it's cool. We're doing some cool stuff here. Uh, the podcast, um, we still have maybe a couple of spots open if you want to do the Kings happy hour, which requires a paid subscription um the king's beat uh, happy hour um and so yeah we've got some good stuff going on so for sean cunningham i'm james ham thanks for listening to the king's beat podcast uh we'll see you in i don't know two days everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. 
But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.